Maybe you saw my beautiful poinsettia. Uh, some of you, you remember the beautiful poinsettias we had in church, right? Had some up here by the baptistry. In fact, it was really good. We had to move them because we had a baptism. It's always great that you know your baptistry doesn't become a closet or a storage facility, um, which is a reminder. Some of you have talked to me about baptism recently. I'm waiting for phone calls or confirmation, and there are others of you I may just come by and grab by the neck that, you know, got the water, we need to do it. But um, if you brought them home uh, like I did, in fact, we had several because my granddaughter, the dance school that she's a part of, they sell them, so go figure, right? I think we had like 10, and I tried to bring some to the church, but the church had plenty, and uh, what the church didn't have, I took home to die, so... Um, why is it failing? It, it, it's lost lots of leaves. It's losing some more. Could, there it lost one. Could it be that no one cared? Could it be that it was seldom watered? Although this one is somewhat moist. It was probably not underneath the porch. Could it be that it was left alone and because of the recent winds, the highs and lows of the temperature, that's what I have a result of. Well, I think that's an excellent metaphor for Mary, Mary Magdalene, Mary from the seaside city of Magdala, near Galilee, Sea of Galilee. Uh, we remember we picked her up last week. Uh, she came to the tomb where Jesus had been buried. She found the stone had been rolled away. And then she rushed to tell the disciples that Peter and John would then run back, probably with her, although she's not mentioned that she was running with them. Uh, they saw the empty tomb, the grave closed, and they left. But Mary stayed. And that's where we'll pick up today in just a bit. For some reason, I think she might have been feeling like that poinsettia. All the celebration that we had in December and how beautiful my flower was, now there's no one here, no one caring for me, void of the living water that Jesus claimed he was and is, she felt alone. The rising and the falling temperatures of doubt had taken toll in her mind. And here in John, we will read that angels, she sees angels in the tomb, Rather nonchalantly, as, they, as John writes, I mean, if I, saw an, if I saw one in an open tomb and stuck my head in there and I saw angels, I probably would have taken off running, screaming, afraid. And, of course, they ask her, why are you crying? But before we open John, I think it's good to have some sort of foundation. It's, in fact, we often tie the Gospels together in our mind, but to build some new familiarization. Let me read for you from Matthew, the 28th chapter. Matthew's account of the same story that we will read uh, here in John in just a second. So Matthew 28, beginning with verse 1. After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day, so that's in consensus, that's the same in all four Gospels, Mary Magdalene, who's mentioned in all four, and the other Mary, we didn't see another Mary in John, but the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. That's not mentioned in John. 
For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going into the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, I love that vision of an angel sitting on the stone. Look what God can do. You think you've got roadblocks in your life? Let me just take one out of the way, God's hand, and I'll sit on that roadblock. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, they, took, they shook and became like dead men, dropped down. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay which kind of now jives in with John 20 because she does go into the tomb. Then quickly go and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings. I think that's an understatement in the English language. Greetings. How many of you say greetings when you see each other anymore? You don't even probably send that. I think I do send an email on occasions, greetings from FBCH. Like, hey, that's what I'd be saying, right? If I saw Jesus in the middle of the road after he's been gone and, and dead and the tomb is empty, he says, greetings. They came to him, clasp his feet. I want you to remember that because we don't see it in John. Clasp his feet and worship him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. All right, before I read John, I'll read John in just a second. No mention in the gospel account of John, of, excuse me, of Matthew, of Jesus' mistaken identity. You know, here in John we'll read that uh, Mary thought he was the gardener, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Have you any of you ever had mistaken identity. I mean, you see somebody in a restaurant and you go, hey, and it's not Denise, it's Deborah, you know, or somebody. Have you ever done that? I mean, uh, Brendan, I love this comedian we saw in, in England years ago, and he's, he was describing that. Have you ever gone, hey, and it's not Wade, and you go, hey, and you just kind of wipe your hair like that, you know, people walking by. I've told you this one before, but it's my favorite mistaken identity. I am a young chaplain, all of about two years of active duty, Married a young couple, probably my age, uh, both active duty, and they said no money for tuxedos, no money for wedding gowns, but we all have mess dresses. So can we wear our Air Force mess dresses? So she was in her mess dress, he was in his mess dress, and I was in mine, complete with cross and rank, not a single medal, had not been awarded, earned anything, you know, just the cross, which there's a sermon in that, and I'll tell you that someday. But... Uh, uh, the, the wedding, as I recall, was at the Medina Chapel, which we used to have numbers. I think that was number five in the day. Uh, and then after the wedding, which typically I don't go to the celebrations after. The last guy you want to see there is the minister. You know, he really, he's a party poop, you know. He's Baptist. He don't drink, you know. And besides that, he's one more mouth to feed. So, but for some reason, they had talked me into going. So it was at the Crockett Hotel downtown near the Alamo, complete with, valet parking so i've gone to the celebration got my piece of cake and my punch and maybe the you know, the assorted mints and some nuts or something like that i've made my appearance and now i'm waiting for my car and up comes a man more my senior and says mine is the gray mercedes and i looked at him and 
I said, sir? He goes, the gray Mercedes. I said, well, that's great. I'm waiting for my car too. And he surveyed my uniform then because, once again, it looked kind of like a valet uniform, you know, this little short waistcoat. And he goes, oh, my God. I said, what's that? He goes, oh, and then he grabs his mouth because he said God like a curse word because he'd seen the cross. He goes, you're in the military. And I go, yes, I am. You're a chaplain. I said, yes, I am. He goes, you don't park cars. I said, no, I don't. But <laughs> mistaken identity. Oh, well. Okay, I'll give you the, because, you know, it's, it's, it's not even 11.30 yet. Somebody goes, we can get out early. We can get out. Um, at another opportunity in the Air Force, it was a dining, some of you have been in, I forget. Dining in and dining out. So one of them you can take your wife or your spouse. One of them you can't take your spouse. Uh, but this one was one I think you could take the spouse, because Brenda knows this story too. Colonel Robert J. Milne was the base commander at Lackland. Once again, I've been in year two, three didn't have anything other than the cross. And he's a Vietnam Air veteran. And he comes walking in, you know, so heavy because so many decorations. He's a clinking as he walks because they would. There's so many. The light comes on. <laughs> and I said, hello, Colonel Mellon, you know, how are you? And there's a, all these chaplains were all standing together. And I said, I feel kind of naked compared to your uniform, you know, all that you got on. He took his finger, his index finger, and he pushed on my cross so hard that, you know, it's got little gigs on the back, you know, so hard I could feel it almost going into my shirt. And he said, Chaplain, that's far more important than anything I have on my chest. I'm like, oh, man, finally got somebody I can make connection with. So here we go. Um, we're now talking about <clears throat> Jesus as the gardener and how Mary mistake, mistook him as the gardener. And as I reflected on that all week, I reflected the guys on the staff meeting. I kept thinking, well, did, did he get the gardener's clothes and that's why he looked like the gardener? I, I don't know. I don't know what gardeners wore in Jesus' time. You know, did they have overalls, Oshkosh by gosh, and Oshkosh by Judah, or whatever, you know? So, w was it his clothing? What, was it more of a deeper connection to John 15? Because many people call Jesus the second Adam, and the first Adam was given the garden of life, the garden of Eden, and he turned it into a garden of sin and a garden of death and destruction. And here Jesus, the second Adam, comes to the garden of Eden, excuse me, the, the garden of this cemetery, a place of death, and turns it into a place of life. And if you know John 15, he says, I am the vine, and my father, NIV says, is the gardener. So with that... Let's consider some garden lessons today from Matthew, excuse me, John 20. It's what happens when you read too many verses on the same day. This is John 20, chapter 20, verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look inside the tomb and saw two angels as opposed to the one in Matthew in white, doesn't say about lightning, but white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They ask her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? 
thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Commentators love to pause on that. You know, was she so uh, out of touch that she thought she could pick up a uh, full-size grown man's body? Or are we so out of touch thinking that she's a lady of ill repute or whatever that we forget that she was a wealthy woman? She could have hired some men to come and get his body. I don't know. I like to think the latter once again. Why are you crying? Who's it that you're looking for thinking he was a gardener? She said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. Jesus says to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Hebrew word with a lot of commentators, they pick up on this. Rabboni, different than rabbi, is a uh, rabbi of rabbis. In fact, some even say God was a concern. You could call God Rabboni because he is the teacher of all teachers. But John simply translates it teacher. So, okay, I'll go with that. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look at a familiar text and as we've even read another text of the same uh, wonderful account of our Savior's uh, victory over death. Help us to look at these simple garden lessons and how we might make this text, which is powerful on its own, applicable to our own lives. This is our prayer, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why did Mary stay while the disciples left? Was she still hoping to find Jesus there somewhere in the cemetery? We said last week, John it says that the other disciple, who we think is John, it says he believed. But then John, the writer, includes a little bit more. They still didn't understand that he had to rise from the dead. Did she want to be near where she saw him last? Perhaps. Was she still in shock? Undoubtedly. But when she finally takes a step to look into the tomb... She sees not one, but two angels. They are seated where Jesus was laid. Commentators go in and out of the style of the tomb. Um, how many of you have ever been to the catacombs? Anybody? Yeah. Cutouts in the side of the wall, what you saw. That is what I think it probably was, but that doesn't, that's only because that's the only ones I've seen of that vintage. Some would say that it's a limestone, Jerusalem, that whole area is a limestone area. I've never been to the Holy Land. Uh, but they hollowed out these, uh, this tomb, if you will, and uh, would sometimes leave a ledge. And perhaps he was on a ledge. I know we've seen all kinds of pictures, you know, in our Sunday school classes over the years. We've seen them in church. Uh, regardless, based on how much money you had, probably defined just as it does with Sometimes your home, it would with your grave. The more money you have, the more money you could spend, someone would spend on a bigger grave. Some graves even had a 
like, if you will, an, an entryway, and then you went into the tomb where the body was laid. Here are two angels, one sitting at the head, one sitting at the foot. To describe more than that is just to just do that is to try to um, expand in your own mind. Uh, John gives no reason why they are sitting on each side, other than each is near where the linen cloth was. One was a head roll, one are the strips of linen. And what we know to be true about angels is that they are messengers of God, sharing a prophecy, sharing a truth, sharing something about God, about his plans. And I love the fact that the only thing that these, these angels say in John 20 is, why are you crying? That should bring strength and comfort to your heart that the Lord saw, the Father in heaven saw one of his children crying and his representative, his messenger, said, why are you crying? Well, she shares her frustration and pain in verse 13 and says, you know, who is it you're looking for? She said, they have taken him away and I want to know where they have put him. Well, she doesn't recognize Jesus because he asked the same question. Why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he's the gardener. She says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. Why didn't she recognize Jesus immediately? Some of the same reasons I gave earlier. She didn't expect him to be there. Certainly we wouldn't have. Her eyes were like many of us. Thanks to the allergies this past week, her eyes have probably been crying and, and swollen. Someone asked me today, has my eyesight been affected? <laughs> yes, it has. I think my eyes are a little blurrier. Uh, I can see 200 people out here in the sanctuary. <laughs> That's the way Baptists see everybody. Maybe 300, yeah, when we talk to others. Maybe whatever clothing Jesus had on looked like a gardener. Um, no one else would be around a cemetery early in the morning than perhaps the caretaker. Certainly grave robbers would not have taken the time to stop and say, why are you crying? They would have ran away. But when Jesus calls her name, Mary, then she gives that wonderful pronouncement, Rabboni. And then we, as we read in Matthew 28, when they encountered him outside on the way back to tell the disciples, I envision in my mind, she drops to the ground and grabs his feet. Or maybe not, we don't know, but that's what I have in my mind. And we know that it was right there, because she doesn't want him to leave. He'll tell her, and we'll get into that in just a second, about, you know, don't hold on to me. She was ready to plant a garden there. So I tell you today, one of the first lessons from this garden story of a cemetery is to plant your garden. It's a strange suggestion, I'm sure, that you would get from the resurrection story, but there it is. And you must ask yourself or think about the hundreds of references in both the Old and New Testament to growing, planting, caring, pruning, and the harvest as it makes a metaphor of our faith. Adam was told in Genesis 2, the 15th verse, to tend to the garden. 
We are to plant our garden. I was reminded last week in talking with another church member that maybe Jesus' father, uh, Joseph, the carpenter, you know, they, he's known as a carpenter, Jesus, but the majority of Jesus' illustrations in the New Testament are agrarian. They have something to do with growing. John 15, I am the vine. He, my father is the husbandman or the gardener. You know, he, he makes sure you abide in me. He talks about, see the fields are ripe for harvest. You could just go on. He talks about the man who was planting seeds as he walked along. Some fell on the rocky ground. Some fell on the good ground. He's constantly got these farming illustrations. However, when we think of it in context, that if his father, his heavenly father, was the gardener, we have even more reason that Jesus did tell the illustrations he learned from his father. So when you become a Christian... Should you plant the garden? Let me back up. When I first learned to fly, I had a, uh, and I just had a fairly new license, I had an older pilot jokingly say, the first thing you should do as a new pilot is teach someone else because you'll quickly find out how much you do and don't know. Now that's not a, I would not say to do that because if you haven't done certain things in an airplane, you want to make sure the instructor has. But it was a great way to think about it. How much do I really know? And how much could I explain to somebody and how much could I learn? So I tell you as a new Christian or even as an older, or that sounds derogatory, as a seasoned Christian sitting here today, plant a garden of faith, a spiritual garden. And maybe you don't have the land to plant a garden. Maybe you just need to have two or three, you'll call them your faith pots in the house. Because you will quickly learn when you have a garden or a, a plant like this, that you need to take care of it. You'll need to water it. Well, first you have to plant it. You have to get the dirt. You have to get your hands dirty. You have to water it. You have to fertilize it. Eventually, you'll see when it grows what other things do to your beloved garden or your beloved plant. Grasshoppers will come. If you out where I am, you might have deer come and other things that will devour this which you have tended to. Maybe the rain won't come and you'll be so upset and then finally the harvest comes and you'll have something to perhaps share with others. But it is another perfect metaphor for the spiritual journey, our spiritual lives, that we are to have a garden to tend to daily. You don't just have a garden and, well, two or three times a month go take care of it because soon you'll find out that it'll be overcome by weeds or Perhaps it just might die because it has not been watered. You need the watering of the word. You need the nurturing of the communion through the Lord. You know, you can fill up your car. Well, it depends if you've got a very much of a gas hog. But most of us can fill up our car one time a week, and it may last a week or even two weeks. I know it depends on how much you drive. But you don't think about it again. But your spiritual life needs attention daily, beginning and ending in prayer, beginning and ending in giving thanks and connecting to the one who sustains you. That's, why, that's also the way you disciple others. You, know, you can be a gardener to help someone else in the faith, a young Christian, checking in with them, sharing what you have learned, and how you have grown in the Lord. 
Go back to this garden experience with Mary and Jesus. Verses 15 and 17. Why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus says to her, Mary, she turns towards him, cries out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, and here what many consider to be one of the most difficult verses to explain or understand in the New Testament. Jesus says, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. It's not so much the latter part, it's that first part. Don't hold on to me, I've yet to return to the Father. So why was it that Mary, excuse me, my nose is bothering me and may have to even mute the thing. But why is it that Mary couldn't touch Jesus, but Thomas could? Turn the mic back on before I snoot and blow here. Same chapter. Look at it. Mary can't touch me. Don't, different versions will say, don't hold on to me, don't touch me, stop. But yet Thomas, just a few verses later, touched my hands. Seeing how I don't have any answers from the congregation. <sighs> why couldn't Mary touch Jesus? Or why couldn't she hold on to him? He says, well, I have not returned to my father. And, and does it mean something happened between this experience in the garden and this upper room experience he's going to have with Thomas? Well, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that the ascension does not happen until Acts, the first chapter, when he does go back into heaven with the Father. Some 40 days have happened since the resurrection until the ascension. What does it mean? Don't hold on to me. Stop clinging to me. My, these are all the things that we want to do, right? Hold on to Jesus, you know. Touch me. Well, I think, let me give you a some background here is I, how my mind works. I think that she did not want to let go of him because she was afraid she would never see him again. And in her mind and in his mind, she had not heard or he had not made clear enough the things that he had said. In the previous few chapters, previous verses, he has said... I will not leave you as orphans. She didn't understand. He said, I will come to you, and the world will not see me, but yet you will see me. And he says, your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away. But he's got a word for her today. Because here in the Gospel of John, before he announces that he is going to ascend, he tells her that I'm going to be with my father, your father. And he calls the disciples my brothers. What an intimacy he has built here. So I am more comfortable, and as many commentators I read trying to explain this, there are multiple ways that you can try it. And the Greek is a little bit different. And once again, I gave up being a Greek scholar about 40 years ago. Um, I read a little bit of it, and I look at 
the different ways the, the words are and who has far more experience than me. But I'm comfortable with this reading, which is kind of a blend of the last commentator that I read uh, this week. Think of it this way. He's saying to her, you can stop. You can stop. You don't have to hold on to me. But go right now and tell the others. Tell my brothers, my sisters, in our inclusive list words today, because that's what he meant. These women followed him as well as these 12 men, now down to 11. Go and tell the others that I am going to the Father. You don't have to hold on, because I'm going to be with them. And as he said in John 14, I have promised you someone who will be with you, the Holy Spirit. He's not being rude or, mer- or, or mean to Mary. He's explaining his mission. He's not yet done. Yes, he's victorious over the grave, but he's yet to ascend to be with the Father. And soon you will all have access to the Father through the work, the redeeming work of the Son. And in your spiritual garden, don't choke it out with other things other than following him. You know, when you talk about spiritual gardens, regular gardens, things other than the plant grows. Many times when I've had a garden, weeds grow, grew better than the things I'd planted. My mom uh, had two big pots beside the garage, and the dirt that I got for those two big pots came from the neighbor lady's yard. No, I didn't go out and dig up her yard. But about, I don't know, early last summer, she and another guy dug all the topsoil off of the grass and all, and they carried it away. So all she has is dirt right beside my mom's house. So when the rain comes, the dirt washes right onto my mom's driveway. So I'm out there with, you know, big dust pan and the rake and then the broom. And I, I filled up these two pots with dirt. And I said, now we can plant something in there. So we planted some cactus. That's, those are the kind of plants Cliff can take care of, cactus. Very little maintenance, very little gardening, which could be another sermon. Is your spiritual life like a cactus? Are you prickly? Are you not fun to be around? Could I fall on you and find help? Okay, never stop. But mom is is enjoyed watching these, and I don't know, I think Melinda and I talked about, I think they're the kind that the thing grows up in the middle. Is that, I don't know what the, you know, the cactus that there's like a, tree that grows in the middle of it eventually. I think we talked about that about four or five years ago. I, I don't know if they're called century plants or whatever. There's some kind of cactus. Um, and they're doing well. But so are all the other weeds that came out of that lady's topsoil. And maybe it's grass. I mean, maybe it's, what is that, St. Augustine? Maybe it's some other kind of grass. But mom is out there pulling the little weeds, you know, instead of the cactus. Spiritually, weeds can represent anything that chokes and robs the plant. Sin for sure. I was. I look at this uh, screen when we're singing. I don't know why I don't look at that one. I guess it's the way I stand. I look at that one. It, does this side of the congregation look at that one? I bet, yes. We were cross-eyed. We're all cross-eyed. But I'm looking at this one, and it says, To sin I resign. Wasn't that the verse? Resign? Half of you have never resigned from sin. just maybe took a vacation. I, 
That's what a weed is. It is a sin that entangles our lives and chokes out our relationship with the Lord. Now, I'm not going to try to define them for you because most of you know what they are. But when things of the world get more attention than your relationship with Jesus, it's a sin. It's a weed. It's choking out your spirit. So plant your garden and then share your garden. Jesus tells Mary to go tell the brothers, I have seen the Lord. And immediately she goes and tells them. We don't get the response of the disciples like we do in Luke, the 24th chapter. He says, Luke writes, they didn't believe him. The women had seen Jesus, tell the disciples, and the disciples don't believe him. And then you'll have in Luke 24 following uh, the, uh, the scene by the, the shore. But I would like to think that when Mary came back to the disciples, they had to ponder some of these same things that I have shared with you on understanding what Jesus was trying to tell them. And let me say those again. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. He said, I will not leave you orphans. He says, I will come to you. He said, the world sees me no more, but you will see me. Your heart will rejoice and no one can take your joy. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Mary shared with the disciples the garden of her joy and belief. We must trust the gardener in our garden to share the joy and belief he has given us. Any of you ever have a garden? Yeah. What grows the best in your garden other than the weeds? Whatever you plant. I know some of you are green thumbs. Well, I'm of the darker thumb family. But here's according to Martha Stewart, and I've grown some of these things. Martha Stewart says, here, these are the easiest things to grow. And I never really considered Martha Stewart to be a gardener, but that's what popped up when I was Googling the easiest things to grow. Tomatoes. And you know why I think that is? I've always, when I've grown tomatoes, I've bought the plant somewhere else. So I already have something above the ground to start taking care of. I've never planted, anybody planted tomato seeds? Some of you have, and then got tomatoes. So that's truly the full cycle. Tomatoes, zucchini. I don't know what you do with those. Yeah. And she uses the term pole beans. I would call them string beans. I think they're synonymous, at least. No, they're a form of green bean. Cucumbers, carrots. I think that's a lie. I have never got a carrot mound or however you plant them to come up. My dad always said you planted them too deep. I'd stick those seeds in the ground, nothing. Maybe get a volunteer onion from the year before, you know. Lettuce. And I've never grown lettuce, so some of you can argue these or not. But when you get a big crop of tomatoes or when you get a big crop of cucumbers, what do you do? You set up on the side of the road and sell them? Well, you might. But more than likely, you share them, right? You go to work, anybody need tomatoes? Or you come to church and Dan and I go, we'll take tomatoes, right? Will you share from the bountiful harvest you have received? Well, of course you would. Um, and if, if you don't like <laughs> zucchini, <laughs> I, I, if you grill it, you put enough butter on it, maybe a little garlic salt, and maybe put cheese, I don't know. Maybe wrap it in bacon. 
you, you've got some good zucchini. But I mean, that's what you do. If you're sharing something with someone else that doesn't really understand the goodness of it, you try to explain your own joy for it, then they understand it a little better. And we'll come to that in just a second. But side note, Chase a Rabbit, how many of you remember cars before seat belts? I think when my sister took her driving test, and she'll correct me later, she had to take the 66 Mustang, which was only three years old, I think, when she got that, because it had seat belts in it. Mom and Dad's car didn't have seat belts. Then, you remember, seat belts came out. Of course, they were just an annoyance. No one used them, right? Tuck them down in the seat. After that came the three-point harness. So it's pointed here, it's up here at the top, and it buckles in here. Remember those? That's what you, most of you have now. Anybody have a Nissan back in the day when they came up the side of the window or up the side of the, the A-pillar? Yeah. You got Ford Escort. You got a cup of coffee? You will spill it because that seatbelt will hit you. Or you'd be like Mr. Pingris. Remember we bought a car, Dad bought a car from Mr. Pingris? Mr. Pingris was the cook at the VFW back at home. Lost his eyesight in the Battle of the Bulge. Don't need to see to be a cook. Just need to know where everything is. My dad said they'd go out and check on him. He's cooking in the dark. I mean, it didn't really matter to him. Great cook. Always had a good car for the kids to drive, although he offered to drive my dad home one night or some others, I think. That's a story for another day. But we bought a Pontiac Grand Le Mans. I swear, Mom, no insult to you. That's an ugly car. If you had one of those, I'm not insulting you, but it, by the, all the Pontiacs in the world, that was one of the uglier ones. It kind of looked like a, a lima bean with wheels, you know. But when we got ready to, to drive in it, Mr. Pingers had cut the daggum seat belts out of it because they annoyed him. He didn't like them. He just took his big old pocket knife out and cut them out. Well, I say all that to say... Do you know why we have seat belts like that, those three-pointers? Because in the 50s, an engineer from Volvo created that. He'd been a pilot in war, or worked on airplanes in, in the war, and he developed that. And they said, and that's where the commercial comes from, and you may have heard me say it before, some things are too good not to share. He had that, could have patented it to, to you know, make sure nobody else could do it, but he shared it with all the car manufacturers. This was the safest way. So when you share your garden, your great bounty from your garden, you share with them these things. And just as I had those seven things, I'll try to say these very quickly. Here's what you share from your spiritual garden, your experience with Christ. When you're trying to talk to somebody else about Jesus, be familiar enough with him and how you came to know him to share that with someone else. Then you share with them the produce from your garden of forgiveness, of love, of tenderheartedness. Number three, you share with him, with someone else, the garden of your joys, your daily flossing, if it was, reading the Bible every day, getting to know him better. You share with him the garden of your doubts. There are some things that I don't have the answers on, but I know I'll be there when he comes again. Number five, you share with him the journey and those who have gone alongside with you. Share about your church. I mean, that's a great way. I may not have all the answers, but I bet somebody in this wise congregation can tell you or help you with your question. 
You share about how someone can let the gardener come into their life. Be like Mary. Tell someone you have seen the Lord and how they can see him too. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And as the praise team gets ready to come, they're going to sing in the garden. Those of you who have been around me know that that takes me back 40 years. You know, a lot of this preaching in these last two months I'll be here is kind of like, uh, I don't know, brings a lot of memories. You guys can come. We are singing in the garden, right? Yeah. So uh, little church I pastored in Illinois, we took turns between the different churches in the area. I mean, the Catholic Church did it, the Methodist Church did it, the Presbyterian Church. We would go out to a nursing home that was really closer to our church than any other church. And there, Robert, a uh, resident of the nursing home and a uh, Korean vintage pilot, was the only one who could play piano. And he loved to play in the garden. So every time we play in the garden, I think of Robert. But one of Robert's problems was we would start off and give me, just give me the tempo you would do in the garden. With me and he talked. By the time we were done with Robert, and he walked with me and he talked with me and there me all the way, because Robert is getting ready for lunch afterwards. So as soon as we can get in the garden done, and I know some of you are that way. So let's get ready to stand. It's a time of invitation. If you want to run like we talked about running last week to make a decision, let me invite you to come as we pray. Father, as we get ready for this time of invitation, if there's someone here who's never accepted your son, let them step forward. Let them run. Let them walk in the garden with the Savior today. Let them learn how to plant a garden with you, how to cultivate it, how to grow in faith with you, and how to share the produce of that garden with others. Whatever decision there is to make. Maybe they just want to come here and kneel and pray, stand and pray, come and talk, and we'll pray together. Whatever decision, Lord, let your Holy Spirit move. For we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen.